with confidence. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word. It's always a joy to look at it. We'd ask that you would um, build us up in it. In your son's name, amen. Um, recently, because I, I, you know, this is what I do, I lie in the tub and I think of things. I've been thinking, and I was talking to the drones about it yesterday, I was sort of toying with existentialism and in a good way, trying to place it, uh, you know, properly, if there's a proper place to put it. And I was also reading with a friend, uh, we were going through C.S. Lewis's essays, I assign him an essay and he comes over a week later and we discuss it. We've been going through the poison of subjectivism uh, and Lewis deals with the problem of is God good because he submits to goodness or are things good because he says so? Both of them are problematic philosophically and so that was sort of on my mind and, and I was and, and Lewis had pushed in a direction that it's not a matter whether God submits to goodness or whether he um, makes it good by his decision, but that he is good. It just, that goodness is a, uh, an element of God. And, and, and so I was thinking about that and thinking about existentialism and being in the tub. My mind was a whirl. And uh, I, I suddenly realized that there was a There's a lot of wickedness in the world. I don't know if you knew that or you had seen it. A lot of confusion, a lot of wickedness, a lot of misunderstanding. And everybody's trying to fix it. Pretty much everybody. And how we fix it, what we choose to fix, how we choose to fix it, uh, is becomes part of the problem. And because we don't have the right, you might say, uh, plan or, or a schematic for the way that God made the world, and in that failure to have the right schematic, we start stressing the wrong things. So what I'm going to suggest to you is I was thinking about the role of the individual because I was dealing with existentialist you know, starting with the individual man and what he was dealing with. And I wasn't really planning to preach on that because that's kind of, that's philosophy. You, you don't waste the saint's time with that junk. But then I opened my Bible this morning and looked again at Ephesians 3 and it said, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And what was, because I was thinking about it this way, now a couple years ago I went through Ephesians in sequence and, and probably said, I hope, good things about it. But when you're thinking about something else, it jumps on you when you see Paul saying, I was praying for you and like I could pray for everybody. Everybody on earth has been named by the Father. That when he says that he may grant you be strengthened with might through his spirit, when he says in the inner man, he has just made it an individual task, an individual circumstance he's praying for, not the corporate circumstance. Maybe each one of the church in Ephesus he would like to be strengthened, but all of them must be strengthened. To be strengthened in the inner man, they have to be strengthened individually. And then he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Also, has to be. Through faith, has to be individual. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints. And then he broadens out the prayer to say, I'm praying for us all, but I'm praying for us all individually 
that a certain thing would be the case so that something corporately can be the case. You have two things in the world. Uh, one of the things I was dealing with with the nature of God and, and, and that the creation of goodness you can toy with this if you want. The, the nature of goodness is that when other is created, goodness is possible. Because what we conceive of as goodness is the treatment of benefit or detriment to the other. When you are the only existent being in the cosmos and there is no cosmos, there is no object of good. The creation of other creates the opportunity of good. So what I would like you to consider thinking about is the relationship that has with you to your goodness. God's goodness is revealed by the creation of other. When he made man, when he made um, the universe, he had an object to love. It revealed God to be good. You are also in the same situation. Not that you're a creator, but you're a self that has an individual condition. And you have other that reveals whether or not you're a piece of work or you're uh, loving and good to the others in your life. Whether you turn toward them with grace, turn toward them with benefit. That's what the other reveals. Too many peop people think that the other reveals how bad other people are and how i got to go fix it. They're, they're viewing the relationship between the individual and the corporate in, on all sorts of degrees. I, I was running into, I ran into some people on the internet the other day that were claiming that all this individualism was part of the problem. I said, well, you know, However you could do individualism, unless you can govern yourself, you can't be, a, you have no business helping others, you know, no business going into other people's lives. What I want you to think about is the role, or how does God speak in the scriptures, and to, who, to who does, whom does he speak, and how the role of other to you, you are an individual, each one of you, singly and separately, you are individuals, and you have in this room a multitude of others. There's other things, there's other people. Who you are is going to define how the other functions in your life. It could be a necessary other, in other words, it could be siblings, uh, uh, spouses, uh, church fellow church members. We have memberships we're brought into. We have corporate ways of being. We work for businesses. We do all sorts of things. We live in a society. We have an obligation to the other. And the biggest thing it is doing is revealing what our obligation to the individual, whether that has been met or not. Look at what he says, what he prays for the individual in that first paragraph. Spiritual strength, right? Praise for spiritual strength, that you may be strengthened with might through his spirit. Now, he doesn't tell you what that is. You talk to a charismatic, you're going to get a different definition of spiritual strength in the inner man than what you talk to a Baptist. But it's going to be according to the riches of his glory, you would be. The phrase, strengthened with might, you've got to account for that. Whatever you view, I'm going to let you decide what strengthened with might through the spirit in the inner man is referring to. But I just want you to be sure that might is the thing that got strengthened. Power. What kind of power? Do you have it yet? Paul's been praying for you. Paul's been praying for you in Ephesus that you would be strengthened in the inner man. 
and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What would that be? Not only that you be strengthened by the Spirit, but that you be saved. People were strengthened by the Spirit even before salvation existed. You see the Spirit falling on King Saul. You see the Spirit you know, going and coming between different people. Uh, Elijah asked for a double measure of the Spirit of Elijah. There is, the Spirit was working in man. Not the same way as he works in Christians after the Pentecost, but he was working before salvation. So don't think this is backwards or something. Being strengthened by the Spirit has got to mean something to you. I'd recommend that you spend some, I'm not going to suggest anything, because I didn't suggest anything right here. But that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith is something that all of you have concretely done or not done. That through faith, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's praying that that be the case in you. Then, that you, still individual, still the inner man, being rooted and grounded in love, in other words, that your circumstance, what you need to do for this world, for you to be proved to be the kind of thing that God wants in this universe, you need to go through this checklist to go, have I been strengthened with the might of God according to God's great glory? the riches of his glory, has that really landed on me in some way that I could call I'm, my might has been strengthened? And has my faith brought about the indwelling of Christ in my life, in my heart, in my center? Is that my, is that my place? You've heard me say before, the heart is not the seat of your emotion, it's the center of, your, you might say, purpose. And now that your way of approaching things, being rooted and grounded in love, hey, stop and think about those words for a moment. Uh, we put in some bushes uh, with our new back porch. Uh, we got some bushes on sale at Moscow Building Supply, 40% off, everything in the nursery. So we want some use. No jokes, please. Who's on first? Uh, we bought some ewes, and uh, we had to, the weather was getting dicey, and they were sitting in pots, and the pots were small, and so we had to get them in the ground. So Leslie and I rolled around in the cold muck on our hands and knees, putting bushes in. And your concern is, as you water them, and Leslie loves to water, um, whether they're the right soil's there, their ground is good, whether they're rooted, whether you, you score the roots when they come out of the pot, you know, make sure that they think about branching out. We know what it means, but we just, you know, could walk right over that. That's what, what are we rooted and grounded in? That that which you are standing on, sucking up, stabilized by, come up with some words. Look at a thesaurus and, and, uh, I wish there was another word for thesaurus. That's what I'm just saying. It's love. Is that, is that your premise? Is that the premise for the individual, inner man, whose heart is filled with Jesus Christ? His intention, Paul wants them to know that his intention is to pray them this direction. Having gotten there, that they may have the power to comprehend with all the saints. Now that's, just like he said, he's, he, every family on earth has been named, and he talks about the individual, but then the individual steps into the other, and as a group of believers, similarly in this state, that we together seek comprehension. We're in the same church building because of that. And people are gathered together in this town, various other places, going to Sunday school class and Bible studies, seminars, because they seek together with people that they share something with, 
this comprehension together. And then he says something that just opens the barn doors. What are you supposed to comprehend? What is the breadth and length and height and depth? Uh, of what? Did it say? Breadth, length, height, and depth. Together we're supposed to be looking and comprehending it all. Part of my relationship to the other. You're the other to me, I'm the other to you. We're, we're, we're needing to have a way of being that allows the world the way God wants it to be. Which is you being who you should be and you being who you should be to others. Because the presence of others creates a relationship that didn't exist before. Creates a problem that didn't exist. Any guy who's lived in an apartment for a few years and gets married, he suddenly realizes the presence of this other person. You have a baby, the presence of this other person has moved this household in a negative direction. We, we know that you have an exponential increase of, of problems when you put more than one person all of them choosing whether or not they're rooted and grounded in love. All of them choosing whether or not in the inner man they are strengthened with might. And it's not always the case that they're going to be Christians. But when they are, when they have all these things, together, pursuing everything, everything has a question. Everything needs to be looked at 48 different times but Sunday. I mean, it's just everything has wonder involved in it. There was a Latin quote I ran across in the Lewis essay that ambulava, well, I can't even say it because of words that, that are hard for an Evan to pronounce. But it had to do, while Lewis was talking about how great God was, and he says, I walk with wonders above me. That's what we're dealing with. We're walking with wonders above us. And uh, together, with these things established in the individual man, together, we choose to pursue these wonders above us and to know the love of Christ. Past the height, the depth, the breadth. There's a love that you can't know. <laughs> You're supposed to, the power to comprehend and know the love that surpasses knowledge. Now, whether or not St. Paul, you got a couple options, whether that is sort of kind of the evocative quality of what he's talking about, like when he says the, the, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. It's, 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 it's rendering it out in eloquence to create a sublime sense in you about, you know, to know that which you can't know. It's also possible that it is know what is greater than knowledge. Because all too many times in churches, especially those who start to, we're going to comprehend with all the saints. And so they had catechisms and they have training sessions and 10 basic steps to maturity and, and Bible study guides for their Sunday school class. And, and they want all the men in the church to be, you know, at least a theologian of some merit. For all of that, we always have to come back to the love of Christ to know that. It surpasses your knowledge in order that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's the elements of the Gnostic uh, claims we were talking last night, a bunch of us were over at the house, Wes Callahan had come in and 
Peter Escalante and some others. And we were talking about the theosophists and the anthroposophists and Owen Barfield, Madame Blavatsky, uh, people who were just inventing spiritualisms to give them a sense of something. And the kind of, you know, wreck that is in lives. We have, we're not just interested in being deep. We're not just interested in knowing stuff. Because God is involved in this and he would like it a certain way. He made the possibility of otherness. Otherness didn't exist for infinity past. And then God made otherness. And in otherness, this great task of loving it. The great, the great task of doing it good. And then we became, because we were the other. And then he was other to us. And we decided that we didn't love him as much as we loved ourselves. This task is far more important than just another way of thinking about um, kind of a pious sense of, of self. We may be filled with the fullness of God. So look at those things. Spiritually made mighty. Strengthened in your might aspect. Clearly saved. Premised on love. Together with the rest of people who are like this, you pursue understanding everything from every axis and every angle. Especially that it finds itself surpassing what it is to know. That your love, that you are such the kind of person that when people see you, they don't say, oh, he knows a lot, she knows a lot. But he cares a lot. He extends, gives to the other a lot. And we'd find the fullness of God. Pretty big list. That's what Paul's praying. And then he says, then there's a benediction, which usually when you run across a benediction, you go, oh, spiritual words. Wraps his thought up. Oh, that's really nice. It's almost poetic. Now to him, by the power at work within us, is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's a benediction. But he just said something in that benediction. He had just prayed, asked the Lord that for the Ephesians, they would be made mighty, they would be made Christian, they would be premised on love, that they would seek God at every aspect from every angle, and they would find the fullness of God by always having love surpass their knowledge. And then he says, and my God, who I've asked this of, can do more than what I just asked it of. I, I asked for everything, it seemed to me. I, I thought I covered the bases when I went height, breadth, depth, length, fullness. But it says, he can give us more than we ask or think. We can't imagine, if you try to draw the image of this Christian in your mind, what do you think you're living for? What are you living at? What are you going to be crafting yourself into? God can do more than that for us. That's the power that is at work within us. That's what you, you, you say, well, what if I'm not getting more than what I ask or think? Well, that's notwithstanding, uh, not the issue. He's saying this to him who has the power to do this. Give you more than you actually ask of him. That is who our God is. That the kind of life that people scrabble around in rough animism or cheap Eastern mystical theosophy or whatever it is, inventions of German idealists, whatever it is, we have a God who's able to give us the kind of existence properly disposed you as the individual being made different because in the inner man of you and your will and the power at work in you, 
That's doing something so that when you reach out to the other, instead of hatred, it's love. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. His prayer seems to be a description of where God wants to take the Ephesians, where he wants to see God take the Ephesians. Very basic stuff, grand stuff. And then he begs the Ephesians to live a life worthy to which you have been called. Because when God begins the equation with you, you ought to begin the equation with you. And I know you've got an itchy trigger finger about all that's wrong in the world. Sometimes just the person in the line at Winco in front of you. That's what's wrong with the world. I found out someone was wrong with the world. I was pulling out of Walgreens, I think it was, onto Main Street. <clears throat> and I was going to turn up D Street at the, at the light there. And I was behind one car. It was going to become a trial of the soul that one car. Because that one car thought about getting around the corner. It was wide open, it could have turned. Thought about getting around the corner and then just inched their way past the, what is it, the zip trip. And I managed to make it, but I managed to make it just barely as the light changed because they decided, I don't know if they were, any Asians here? If they were Asian or old or tourists, <laughs> I don't know. So as we came up D Street, this person, uh, what's the speed limit on D Street? 30? Might be 30. They weren't choosing to make use of that. Slowly creeping up 3rd Street. I'm trying to get home. My wife wants the video. I'm serving her as a Christian. This person is just... Like they're, I don't know what they're doing, chatting, talking on the phone, I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm, now I'm looking forward to Van Buren. Because now I turn up Van Buren because of the new driveway behind her house. I'm going to say, I'll be out of this problem ere, ere long. The patience that, that uh, is being asked of me, I won't have to be asked of me much longer. Oh, dang it, he's turning on Van Buren. Seeming like he had to chew a stick of gum before he made the decision and make it around the corner. And then he sort of slowed down to be sure he really wanted to be here. And then I started thinking, he's probably wondering why I am so close and I'm doing everything he does. So he's probably being confused. So he inches up Van Buren, it's that dirt, asphalty hill. And I said to myself, foolish that I was, I said, well, I'm not turning my turn signal on at, at C Street, lest he, trying to irritate me, he would turn on C Street. So I didn't turn on my turn signal, and he turned on C Street. Anyway, and then decided, now I can see my driveway, but I can't get to it. <laughs> this car is deciding, I'm going to look at every house between the corner and Evan's house. And I, you know, finally, they, I'm here. I survived. We've got others in our lives all the time that we want to fix from everything small to the way someone drives in front of me to the way ISIS is working in the world to, way, to the way people you don't like politically are functioning and the theories of other churches about the will of man or whatever it is you've got to fix. Paul's prayer is that you get fixed first. And that when that's your calling. And that your calling as you step into the other is always predicated on how rooted and grounded, how fullness of Christ has been poured out in you, whether you're mighty in the Spirit, whether you're clearly saved by faith, Christ dwelling in your hearts. If that's the case... 
If you invent some other calling for the church, you're not going to be looking at verse 2 here, with all lowliness and meekness, with patience, forbearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's really only possible for the person for whom the prayers of Paul in the first paragraph were answered. Because everybody else has to design a different church unity than this. This is not the way churches function. Lowliness and meekness? Are you kidding? Everybody is power mad and has some sort of turf war that they go into about whatever part of the church they own. And the pastors are the worst. Patient? No. Forbearing one another in love? Certainly not. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, which means, as they translate it, well, if you sign our statement of faith, we will have unity. If you agree with me, we'll have unity. You'll... They're not even eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. What, so the life led worthy, isn't that Colleen's blog name? What's her life blog name? I don't know. Abundant. Yeah. Oh, there was something. Somebody had one, a, a life worthy, a little oh, life worthy. That's actually the, the tagline. Okay. okay, I knew I'd seen it in somebody's situation. It's, it, this reference. The idea that you're able to be considered less in this world. That's what loneliness and meekness involves. Are you willing to be considered less? Your interests, your wants, your desires considered less. Patience means considered less for a longer time. That whatever is happening you don't like is going to go on for a while, so you might want to have patience. Forbearing one another in love. You know why you have to forbear other people? Because they drive slow in front of you. Because they're wrong. You ever realize how much of our virtues are the presence of others, not just being others, but being bad or foolish or incorrect. And we're called to be the kind of virtues that deal with people being bad, foolish, or incorrect around us. Lowliness, meekness, patience, forbearing, and in all of this, eager to maintain. Forbearing means they're bad. Love covers a multitude of sins. And wouldn't it be nice if you just arranged kind of your set of Christians to be really charming? I was talking to Nico Zarate last night. Wes Callahan had come in and spent the evening chatting. And after Wes left, I described, you know, Wes and I have been friends for many, many years, decades. And we don't agree. And that's part of the joy of being friends. Uh, men like it especially because it's kind of a measure of manhood to be up against each other and having some sort of smackdown argument. Whatever the case, you don't want others pushed away, torn away, artificially removed, who is really a believer. Somebody who really is, if the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace is there, that means everybody in the spirit is going to be able to be with you, welcomed by you. There are certain doctrines, there are past exceptions. You can't, even if it's a Christian that uh, is actually probably a Christian who's just been deceived, but if they've been deceived to a certain point, you know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You also know morality when people live in such a way that a Christian can't, and they might still be Christians, but you don't even sit down to eat with such a one. But for everybody else in the spirit, I've got to be able to hang out with the Nazarenes, the Presbyterians, Lutherans even. God help us. Those that are truly believers. Not because they're Lutherans or Methodists or Presbyterians, but because they are believers. They're in the unity of the spirit. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. That's the big picture. You are one in that as well. There is one you in that one faith. How are you tying into it? How did you design your life? This church is not responsible to design your life. We'd like to help, but we're not responsible. I mean, we'd have to do some pretty messed up things to you to be called up on the carpet at the judgment day to answer for how we treated people. It'll happen. It'll happen to some. But generally speaking, you are, you're in charge of you. Is the one you relating to the one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's letting you know that in, in this, there's, there's you individually, then there's our corporate relationship to the other. You have family, you have church, you have business, you have you have those bonds. And this is the church. And in that church, individually, you've been given gifts. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. That's out of Psalm 68. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is he who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. That's a, an aside that he's making, drawing, but he, he's drawing to the, you to the point, God gave gifts to you, individually. That's how you are distinct in some way. You are distinct from your brethren who have one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. All of us have that. But all of us are individual in that, all of that the same. And one of the things that is individual about you is the gifts that you have. And his gifts were that some should be apostles. Some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. When you step out of your individuality, if you're, if you're going to become something as an individual, working out everything from how you dress to what you believe, eventually you're going to step into the corporate hole. You'll walk out your front door, you'll walk into the kitchen, and there's mom, and you, you, the other is standing there, waiting for you to now deal. And how are you going to now deal? There's a membership that occurs to varying degrees. Just for being human, being American, being an Idahoan, being a Moscowan or Muscovite, uh, being a, for us, being a Wilson, being a Lovelace, being a Thieve, being a Jeffrey. Those are memberships that you have, that in every one of them, your participation as an individual, what's, what's wonderful about the presence of the other, like I said at the beginning with God, the presence of the other, made it clear that he was good. The presence of the other. People who say, I'm really not good in the morning. I don't, I'm not a morning person. It just means you're not good in the morning. Let's be honest, it's sin. It's not good. I can't treat people nice if I have my coffee. You're a sinner until you've had your coffee. You're evil until you've had your coffee. Don't give yourself any special rewrite. We're going to call it different words today, Johnny. These are mistakes. No, it's wicked. Because when the other comes into your life, you choose whether you face them or you turn away from them. And love is turning your face towards them. And God's gifts to the church were that some would be Pastors and teachers, prophets, apostles, 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith. Remember he was praying? Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace? Having a degree of love that is just remarkable? He knows that we need to be talked to about this. Because we're not animals, nor are we trained monkeys doing something that we're sort of forced to do by some kind of spiritual existence. We are reasonable creatures who are appealed to on the basis of our will to decide something. And he wants to equip us to build us till we get to this unity, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the mature measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Remember, he prayed that we be filled with all the fullness of Christ back in the first paragraph. This is what he has gifted us in the corporate whole to gain, that we have this benefit to each other. You find your inner man, you find your heart, you find your love, you find your Lord, you just start to gather together with others like you in order to seek out this greater thing because you're looking for that fullness and live in such a way that those things are tested by the presence of the other difficult church members. because we're going to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Mature manhood. Verse 14, so that we be no longer, that we may no longer be children. Mature, not children. What did the maturity achieve? Oh, we could create a false maturity. Everybody with their belts up really high and their skirt hem really low and everybody being dictated to from the pulpit what beliefs they should have about everything. Oh yeah, you could make a unity. It'll be tight. You'll end up Amish. You know, it's, it's that kind of loopy uh, restriction. But God wants to have something in which we all sought the length, the breadth, the height, the depth together. And because we were grounded in love, we attain to the unity of the fullness of God. Not be children. And how are children described? Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. That's what a child acts like. They believe everybody. Or they'll believe anybody. They believe everybody or believe anybody. And believe me, there are people who are willing to tell you things. It's amazing what a charlatan is willing to make up and tell you <coughs> merely because it makes him feel good to watch you believe it and write you a check. They will just, you don't think those guys, Creflo Dollar, you don't think he knows that his name is Creflo Dollar? And then he asks for your money, and you're watching it like, how could he? There are some people at home filling out the check. Because they're children. I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. They might be. But we're not supposed to be that way, tossed about by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning of men, by the craftiness in their deceitful wiles. How do you know the difference? How do you know that right now, Creflo Dollar is in the pulpit here. He just is crafty enough to be named something else. Well, one, because you're not writing the checks. So I'm really not good at it, if that's the... We have to concern ourselves with what cunning and deceit are up to. What are cunning and deceit up to? Well, they're up to finding that thread in you. You've got the Nigerian scam? I hope nobody here fell for it. But I was listening to someone on, who's that uh, Christian money guy on the radio? Ramsey. Dave, Dave, Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. 
Some woman phoned in. Her mom had fallen for it to the tune of $150,000. Lost everything. Because she, she wanted to believe she was loved. It was a romantic scam, Nigerian romantic scam. That's what happens with children. You can promise them anything if it's based on their basic lusts, basic wants, but hopes. They will do anything. That's what a child is like. And cunning men and crafty men will talk to you. You'll be subject to trend. That's what happens when somebody hits their teen years. That's why they're such complete idiots. No offense to the teenagers. Oh, no, you're going to be offended. Go ahead. Because they are completely subject to trend. But we don't want to be that way either. We, we encourage the, the adolescent to think a little bit more, understand this is trend, not fashion. Trend, not true. And not to operate on their passions. But rather, speaking the truth in love, so that's what you're looking for. You say, how do I, how do I mean mature? What are the qualities of the mature? Strong in the spirit, saved by faith, rooted in love, <coughs> seeking the mind of God in everything, eager to maintain the unity, the bond of peace, lowliness, meekness, who is wise and understanding among you? It says in James 3. We're supposed to be, what is that, that the, the James 3 passage says it wonderfully. Um, I know I spoke out of it recently. Who is wise and understanding among you by his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This wisdom is not such as comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Much of the church is structured on that position. Disorder in every vile practice. Because they're bitter, and they're jealous, and they're ambitious. So they want to deceive you. They're not trying to be rooted and grounded in love, for heaven's sake. If you have the right model, I was thinking about this the other day, there are, there are pastors that are talented minds and talented speakers, and they become famous. But the Bible doesn't say that they should be talented minds and talented speakers. I mean, that's a good quality, apt to teach. But we promote people who've got really smart and really gifted in the pulpit. But because they're not really holy and they're not rooted and grounded in love, the temptation of the pride of life lands on them like Billio and they want everybody to agree with them. Everyone must agree with them. They've got big ideas. I've got big ideas. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. What happens is when we don't assess ourselves, our individual selves, correctly, when we don't pray with Paul for the things that he wants in you, and are not satisfied to stay to yourself until you get it right, you ought not be fixing the world in any way when you're not rooted and grounded in love. What do you want? Are you a child whose wants are Disneyland and candy? And so they could promise you wealth at some health and wealth church. They could promise you popularity at some happening youth aware church. What do you want? You want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Whose glory do you want? And as we get equipped in our church, wherever you end up, you're looking for that pastors and teachers. We assume you don't have apostles. Pastors and teachers, but your relationship with the apostles in the scriptures are, the, are this way. That this is equipping you to the work of ministry, to the building up, attaining to the unity, being full to the full measure of Christ. 
being filled to the full measure of Christ. Is that what you're after? You have to answer the questions. These have to be posed. There's a... um, When God makes a point and states a purpose, and it's not because P words are important, but there's a point and a purpose and you should look at the purpose and go, what do I think of that? Do I believe that? Is that true? Why am I not doing this? What kind of selfish piece of work am I? Have I not yet had faith in Jesus Christ? Have I not yet bowed the knee? You see how the body, the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. If you want to have your relationship with the other in your family, in your church, in your circumstances, you have to start at least begin with the individual linchpin that is you. That's the big thing. At least you will be made right. On the last day, you may have warned everybody that God will forgive you because you warned them. At least you will be good. At least you will be at peace. But you can't move on to fixing anything else until you're fixed. That's the whole thing about the you know splinter in the other person's eye, light pole in yours. Well, meditate on this. Consider whether or not um, this is a different axis on which to look down uh, on the circumstances and what our obligations are. But think about, you're an individual. You have task A, front and center, there. Two, the presence of other in your life determines whether you're good or evil. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, We're very grateful that you have made other, that we are agents who are autonomous in our lives and are looking back at you and wondering whether or not we bow the knee, whether we decide to serve you. Thank you for calling us to yourself, for giving us the path back into your light, in your son's name, who died for us. Amen.